You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, alongside Ben Folks, as always. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, are you prepared to jinx the koozie mailing effort in public the same way that you jinxed it privately when you just showed up at my house to record this episode? Chad, I don't want to speak too soon. Yeah, I mean, you are. You fully are speaking too soon. I know, but when you when you know that you are speaking too soon, the customary thing to say before that is, I don't want to speak too soon. The same way how I'll say, all due respect, but you're a garbage human being. There you go, yeah. But... I don't want to say anything bad about the guy. <laughs> I, I'll say it looks really good right now for those koozies to go out this week. Another thing I will say, though, there might be some people out there Thinking that they gave us their address to send a koozie to them? Now, see, don't say this on the show, because now everyone who didn't send us their address is fin to send us their address. Too late. Too late. The, the spreadsheet has been finalized. Some people, sometimes I went in there and looked at some of the addresses. There's one that just says Canada. Now, I don't know if that's somebody fucking with us. I kind of hope it is, because that's not, we can't. I don't know how we're going to get it to you. Do we like, send it to the prime minister and just be like, hey, do you know Rich? Saskatchewan Rich in Canada? I don't even know if it's... I, Saskatchewan would be more information than we were given. You guys know Long-Legged Rich from Canada? <laughs> so, Rich might not get one. And that's on Rich. That's what I'm here to tell you. But everybody else, I feel like it looks pretty good. Well, I'm just hopeful that the mailing gods are not as vindictive... As the MMA gods, because if they are, you just stepped in it. Yeah, that's true. I would also like to announce what future mailings I plan to set out in completely different divisions. That's how I really go ahead and do it. You know, the advice that we got that came in a little bit too late to be utilized here for the koozies. But when our guy Andre over there in Germany, who's a successful Patreon creator himself reached out to us and said, hey, man, don't do physical rewards. They're like the biggest pain in the ass in the world. He was right. He ain't lying. He was right about that. Yeah. And now we know. <laughs> now we know. Day late and a dollar short, but we know. Yeah. God damn it, we know. <laughs> we learned it the hard way. The bitter pill of knowledge. Ben, uh, we're coming out of UFC 242 this week. We're rolling into uh, Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje out there in Vancouver. It was a big weekend for mixed martial arts action, as we said, uh, headed into it. It certainly didn't disappoint. A lot of cool stuff happened. A lot of amazing stuff happened. A lot of downright bizarre stuff happened. And I just want, before we move into our discussion about this week's happenings, I want everybody out there in listener land to make sure that they can get the full co-main event podcast experience moving forward. And for that, I'm going to turn it over for you to you to tell the kids about what's happening over on Patreon. Yeah. Well, you know how we managed to keep this here podcast independent and unfettered? Hard work? Uh, a little bit of that. Determination? Very little of that. Prayers? 
a lot of those, especially when it's koozie mail in time. Mostly, it's through the continuing support of listeners like you. Not, oh, right. not you, Chad Dunnis, but the people, other people hearing the sound of my voice right now. Because they make it all possible. Over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. That's where you sign up. You join the team. You help support this here podcast. You also get access to all kinds of other stuff like live streams of events. We did our event watch party for UFC 242 where people got to see me get super mad when it seemed like Khabib was already walking away from the Tony Ferguson idea immediately after his uh, win over Dustin Poirier. You also get stuff like the Power Hour on Fridays, a whole nother podcast each week, including the Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings, which, as we all know, is the most exciting feature to ever appear in any form of broadcast media. It's revolutionizing the MMA podcast as we speak. Plus, for our top tier patrons, you get in on the CME Movie Club the next installment of which goes down Wednesday when we will be watching and discussing The Prestige. This was a listener pick. We do listener choice every other week now. The Prestige. I have a lot of stuff to say about it. I imagine you do. Uh, nothing like a good film about warring magicians. And uh, mostly what you do is you get to support just a couple of hardworking guys trying to figure out on the fly how to make a damn podcast about mixed martial arts fighting. We're one step away from showing uh, cute pictures of our kids on the live stream. We'll do that. This is where your Patreon money is going. Clothes, food, school supplies, mm-hmm. doctor's bills. Keep our kids healthy and alive. Right? That's that's what basically what we're saying. Yeah. And I mean, that is kind of the baseline of what we expect out of ourselves as parents, too. We don't ask much more than healthy and alive. Also, keep the discourse unfettered. Don't you dare fetter that discourse. We got music again this week from our guy, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-RAS. That's Stockholm RAS. Providing this week's music for the CME. Three rounds, as usual, in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, if UFC 242 in Abu Dhabi is any indication, Habib time might go on for a very, very, very long time. The Habib epoch is upon us. And in round number two, you see Bellator. You see what happens when you anger the MMA gods. Albert Gonzalez's leg in Czech Congo's eye or nose or whatever it was. Really wish you had not done that. And in round number three, warm up your UFC logo hot dog branders, fire up the grill, and invite some friends to close out the summer in style. It's Gaethje versus Cerrone this weekend. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Ben MS. He writes, let's get down to it. The hashtag BMF belt. Headlining a pay-per-view without a real title on the line, Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal, just having a fun, highly desired fight and putting on a show. I'm sure you'll talk about it at length, so I'll be brief. My question is this. Actually, my question is thus. Okay. Is what he writes. Uh, this fight never gets booked if a pay-per-view if pay-per-view buys still matter, right? And the fact that this fight gets booked confirms to us that pay-per-view buys don't matter to the UFC anymore, right? See, I don't know about that. I don't know either, and I, I although I do think that they don't matter quite as much these days, especially since the UFC getting that guaranteed ESPN money, so it's not like you have to sink or swim with pay-per-view every single time out. I also 
I'm a, weirdly encouraged by the UFC headlining an event at Madison Square Garden with this fight. Because this, to me, is one of the few times where it seems like, well, maybe as a plan B, still, the UFC listened to the will of the, the people, listened to what the fans wanted, and showed a willingness to entertain fun ideas that were outside of just the normal tradition that the UFC likes to impose upon itself. Like, the whole idea of a, a bad motherfucker belt. Yeah. Especially if the UFC is actually going to create a physical belt. Which they say they are. They say they are. We'll all be very disappointed now if there is not one. But that's the kind of thing where it seemed like six months or a couple of years ago, you could imagine somebody bringing that up to Dana White in a press conference and him being like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And we'd all go, oh, okay, well, yeah, we didn't really think you would, but it would have been fun. And now you have something where it gets this kind of snowball from social media and goes from an idea to a very real possibility. Plus, the UFC just needs a damn main event for that thing and couldn't book anything else. So, boom. Now you have it. And I think that's a little bit encouraging, at least. I agree with you. And I think it's indicative in a lot of ways of of where we are right now in this sport. Though I'm not necessarily sure that it is indicative of an idea that pay-per-view buys just flat don't matter anymore. People are still getting the money from the pay-per-view buys. It's just that uh, the pay-per-view buy money for right now is going to ESPN, not going to uh, the UFC because of their licensing agreement. But ESPN still cares about getting that money. They don't want to lose a, a bunch of a cash on on paying the UFC out these, these guaranteed licensing fees for every pay-per-view. And most of the money at this point that the UFC has taken is is coming directly from ESPN. So you better believe that the UFC wants to keep ESPN happy. So it's not like they can just throw trash out there on the pay-per-views. They can't just uh, risk pissing off their brand new broadcast partner, their uh, partners in crime at this point, just judging by how thrilled every damn buddy is about the how the broadcast deal is going so far. And give it a couple of years. At least publicly. Uh, but at the same time, maybe it does give you a little bit of latitude. Maybe you don't feel like you need to put a belt on the poster for every damn one of them. And now you you get a little uh, the opportunity to do some fun stuff like Nate Diaz against Jorge Masvidal, which, as you said, was one of the fights that we really just didn't want to see screwed up. It was a don't fuck it up yeah. opportunity for the UFC. And to their credit, they did not fuck it up. Well, what do you think? Does... At the end of the day, Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal for a made-up belt, but at least a made-up belt that sounds fun. More fun than an interim title would have been. Which also was one of the ideas, apparently, that they threw around here, trying to book something for Madison Square Garden. Does this do more pay-per-view buys than Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman would have done for the real welterweight title? You know, probably. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. Considering the the star turn that Jorge Masvidal had against Ben Askren in his last fight, considering the recent popularity of, of Nate Diaz post Conor McGregor feud, yeah, I think they'll do okay. It's not going to break the, you know, break through the glass ceiling or anything like that in terms of pay-per-view buys over on uh, ESPN Plus. But at the same time, I think it's a serviceable main event. It's a it's one that's going to get the hardcores excited and uh you know, it's just going to be one that we all tune in to, to, to see and have fun with. And oh, by the way, just a, a reminder, I don't know if we need to whisper this or not, but all the belts are made up. <laughs> right? The UFC even said so pretty recently. The belts are just trophies, they said. They're just uh, knickknacks, basically, for the uh, 
to go above the fireplace at home. Although, and see, I made this point in my mailbag column today. If you were to ask me which knickknack I want above the fireplace at home, an interim welterweight title, like some shit that Colby Covington's carrying around, or the BMF belt, brother, there's no contest. I want that BMF belt mostly just so that I can sit around with a smug look on my face waiting for people to ask me what BMF stands for. (laughs) Wish you would. Wish you would ask me. There's no way the BMF belt is not just ugly as sin, right? <laughs> I don't, maybe, since it's on a short timetable, the UFC doesn't have time to overthink it. Yeah, that's true. It's just a gold plate that says BMF on it. Maybe that's what it'll be. The only real drawback to the BMF belt is that it's one and done, right? That the winner of this, say Jorge Masvidal wins this, he's not going to get to go on and defend the BMF championship. Unless, Ben, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe it should be a matter of honor. Yes. See, this is where I was going to go. If you tell me that it's one and done, that it's just a one-time award you're giving to some fighter, then you don't have any say over what he does with it after that. Whether if he wants to sell it on the internet, or if he wants to just carry it around and be like, anybody who wants a crack at this title, hit me up. And it should be like your fantasy football championship trophy that it's just like, Whoever was the champion the previous year, it's basically a matter of honor that they need to drop it in the mail and send it to the new guy. It should be the same thing with the BMF title. Yes, totally agree. If Jorge Masvidal loses it, he needs to walk across the cage and, you know, hand it over to whoever won it. And then they carry the mantle of BMF title. Does this open the door for more very specific titles? Can we have like a uh, a Weirdsmobiles title? I mean, you could overdo it, right? You could. You could easily overdo it. We've already had the money belt. We have the uh, BMF title. I don't know if you want to have Ryan Hall and uh, whoever is the other weirdest dude you can think of fight for the Weirdsmobile Championship. We had the Getting Off the Bus Championship yeah. a couple months ago. Uh, Yoel Romero and uh, and uh, Tiago Santos. Uh, Maybe uh, you book Demian Maya versus somebody else for the Nice Guy Championship. Yeah, there you go. Of course, I meant not Paul- gonna, it's not going to be the Ben Askren fight, though. That's right. That one's not. Of course, I meant Paulo Costa, not Tiago Santos. Yes. What am I thinking? Next question this week comes from us from Jordan Bennington. Oh, professional hockey goalie. See, that Jordan, was a test Jordan for Bennington. You. That was yeah. a test for you to mm-hmm. see if you know who that was. Jed, do you know what, what happens tomorrow night? Tuesday evening? No, I do know because you already told me when I was over at your house over the weekend. Start a hockey season, motherfucker. And I've already heard your wife lament it to me in private. So, yeah. That's right. Uh, hockey season starts up. Fall hockey season starts tomorrow night. Can you tell I'm excited? I mean, you're I'm like a little a bit excited. kid on Christmas. A little bit excited. Jordan Bennington writes, Take it or leave it, the Blades runner will one day fight for the UFC heavyweight title. Of course, Curtis Blades goes out there and gets a big win over Shamil Abdurakimov at UFC 242. Second round TKO elbows and punches. This one was not close. Curtis Blades... Uh, really putting in work over yeah. there in Abu Dhabi gets the win. He's now uh, on a two fight win streak. He has the loss, of course, to Francis Ngannou back in November of 2018. But before that he had won four in a row. So really uh, he's six and one in his last seven. I'm going to, I'll do you one better here. Not only will I say Curtis blades at some point in his career fights for the heavyweight title. I think he's going to be the champ. Whoa, whoa. Whoa. And you know why I think he's going to be the champ? Every other heavyweight dies in a plane crash. He's 28 years old, so kind of. <laughs> he's just going to outlast them all? Curtis Blades could be in this game another 15 years before he is as old as some of the heavyweights out there currently in the landscape. So I'm just playing the odds, saying that 
If you're as good as you are, Curtis Lionel Blades, at 28 years old, every, a lot of the other guys are going to age out. At some point, Curtis Blades is going to have that, that strap around his waist. It's going to be the last heavyweight left standing. Don't you think Curtis Blades against Steve Miocic would actually be an interesting matchup at this point? Like, you know, it's not going to light the world on fire in terms of uh, interest or pay-per-view draws, but in terms of like a sheer stylistic matchup, I feel like it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I also think that the UFC has done the math and has decided that there's no great big hurry to get Curtis Blades into a position where he might be the UFC heavyweight champion. He's, yeah, he's, he's not, not the, helping his case he's either. He's not the most electrifying personality. Yeah, and after he goes out there, just dominates this fight, he's the only heavyweight fight on the card, gets on the mic and just says, I'd like to fight before my birthday so that I can enjoy my birthday and I'll fight whoever. And you're like, man, you, you're in this division where it doesn't take much. You string a couple wins together as a heavyweight, you have a good wrestling base, good looking beard on the guy. All you got to do is just pick your shots a little bit in terms of the post-fight interview. Give us something to sink our teeth into there. And who knows? Maybe then you're one fight away from a title shot. Yeah, as long as you don't talk your way right out of the organization, like uh, the big pretty Justin Willis recently did. I think, you you know, you'd, you'd probably be well-suited if you were Curtis Blades. Turn he, the volume up just a little bit. If he does talk himself out of the organization... Man, Scotty Cokes would love to have Curtis Razor Blades over there on that roster. Well, yeah, considering how the uh, things are going over in the Bellator heavyweight Hell division, yeah. which we will talk about a little bit later, maybe that's true. I'm going to say I think that the the biggest thing separating Curtis Blades from the title at this point, it's not skills, it's not ability, it's not desire. I think it's just opportunity. Uh, is Curtis Blades going to get that opportunity and how many times will he get that opportunity? But at 28 years old, i got to say, I like the dude's chances. Well, also, the other nice thing about being a heavyweight is it's not like the UFC has tons of options there to choose right. from. Like, you, if you have the ability to just hang around and wait, you're right. Eventually, they might just run out of other ideas and have to give you a title shot. Next question this week comes to us from former professional basketball player Fennis Dembo, okay. who writes, Have either of you noticed that we are currently in the middle of an unprecedented run of six consecutive UFC events outside these here United States? August 31st, UFC on ESPN Plus 15 in Shenzhen, China. September 2nd, UFC 242 in Abu Dhabi. September 14th, Vancouver, Canada. September 21st, Mexico City, Mexico. September 28th, Copenhagen, Denmark. October 5th, UFC 243. Melbourne, Australia. What, if anything, can we glean from this about the UFC's international growth intentions? It seems counterintuitive for the promotion to put on what are surely more expensive and logistically complex events, read outside the U.S., in order to fulfill, to fulfill contractual content obligations to, uh, to ESPN. Is this a tacit concession that the UFC feels that domestic growth has peaked, even with the new ESPN affiliation, and that the rest of the world market is where the future of the company lies? Please discourse. I mean, I can tell you what is at foot in a real baseline kind of way. We're out here trying to make that money. Yes. That's what WME IMG wants to do. We're out trying to uh, increase the revenue streams. And like we were talking about as it pertained to the China event back in late August, you don't need everyone in China to be a UFC fan. You only need, you know, 
a very small fraction of the population of China to like what the UFC is pitching. And all of a sudden you have opened up a new and healthy revenue stream for yourself. Go ahead and, and add uh, United Arab Emirates to that. Canada obviously is kind of a sleeping giant, was once a big hotbed for the UFC and has slowed down a little bit in recent years. Mexico, Denmark, Australia, add them all to the list, man. Might as well go over there and see what's happening. See what's cracking. See if you can get yourself a, uh, a new Brazil as you might say. Yeah. Well, and Mexico was one that the UFC wanted to get into for a long time, and then now in there, it doesn't do a whole lot so far yet, but every once in a while, we'll go over there in Mexico City, see who see who Googled it to find out what the elevation was before they showed up for fight week and who didn't, that kind of stuff. But yeah, the UFC at least has long told us, and maybe WME or Endeavor is really buying into it and trying to test this theory, that the nice thing about Pro fighting is that it can carry over across cultural lines, especially if you have somebody from the place that the locals can get behind, that you don't really have to know a ton about it in order to appreciate what's going on. You don't have to have a long cultural history of doing the thing like you do with, you know, American football or something like that. And now we're kind of all over the place testing that theory. And honestly, the one in Shenzhen worked out about as well as it possibly could have because you got Wiley or Zhang Wiley yeah. going out there, winning the championship, and that was a huge moment there. Uh, the one in Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, Khabib ends up being a big draw there, and plus his teammates who sucker punched Conor McGregor get a, a warmer welcome than they should probably expect just about anywhere else the UFC is going to go to. Conquering heroes. Right. Plus, just, you know, you end up in the one of those deals with Abu Dhabi like everybody else does where you're they're making it worth your while to come over there and ignore all the the human rights stuff that maybe other people would shy away from and then the one at the end of this list in Melbourne where you got Bobby Knuckles and Israel Adesanya if that one is not absolutely huge over there just because of who's involved I will be surprised yeah I agree with you it's an interesting question though whether or not the UFC or MMA audience has peaked in America uh, I know that you know, just transitioning over to ESPN, I think there was some feeling internally that the UFC obviously was going to be able to uh, widen its reach. I think the people at ESPN are were and, and remain hopeful that they can bring a lot of new fans to the UFC. Uh, the sport has been around in America 25-ish years at this point. I'm kind of surprised that there are still a lot of people that don't seem to know what it is, that don't seem to have interacted with it at all whenever I'm out in the streets telling people what I do for a living. In these streets, huh? Yeah. That's what you're doing. You know how I live. Yeah. Out in these streets, chopping it up. Sure, uh, sure you do. But at the same time, do you feel like all of, like the, the majority of the people who are going gravitate, to gravitate toward this sport have already found it in America? Yeah. I mean, I think that you could maybe be doing a little more to pitch it to a younger demographic rather than letting the people who got into it in the mid-2000s just continue to age while you continue to pretend like everybody's super into Everlast or whatever. Wait, you're telling me that having Papa Roach play at Red, White, and Fight Week is maybe not the most now move? Maybe, or the leaning on the red hot chili peppers as heavily as we do. Maybe just Dana White should stop looking through his own personal iPod uh, when he is deciding what musical artist to partner with and, and try to look to the future a little more. But yeah, I do think for better and worse, it's become enough of a sporting, regular sporting thing that happens that people aren't really shocked by it anymore. 
So that's good. It's not the thing of people being like, how dare anyone put this on TV? You have it on the ESPN ticker. It's just been incorporated into part of American sports life. That's a good thing in some ways. But also, it is to a point, I think, where a lot of people who are just potential fans of this, they've seen it, they've made up their minds about it. Some of it maybe they'll get into, and others of it they'll just be happy to ignore. I think that that's, I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there being like, say, cage fighting? Well, that's so crazy, it might just be interesting. I, I think by this point, yeah, we're aware. Next question this week comes to us from Julian Symbolista Clap. He writes, while watching Saturday's UFC 242 post-fight press conference, I couldn't help but notice how many of the reporters' questions were double or triple-barreled. It often also seemed like the reporters were answering the questions for the fighters during their run on inquiries. My time in the media industry was limited, but avoiding that type of question was one of the first things we were taught. One idea per question, and then let the other person answer. To be fair, Habib's language isn't English, and Dana is half-dead, and post-loss... Half-deaf, I believe. Oh, half-deaf. My apologies to Mr. White. Yeah. Misread that there. And post-loss, Dustin is downright heartbreaking. That's a fact. Still, I'm curious, based on your experiences in the media, what do you think about the reason for this prevalence of question? Uh, lack of media training, blah, 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 tight-lipped, anxiety. Now I'm doing what I was just criticizing. I'd prefer to hear what you two have to say. Uh, press conferences are a weird animal. Yeah. And I think people get nervous. Because you're out there in front of God and everybody, you know, the the gathered media, the fighters, the people from the UFC. Sometimes there's a big crowd of fans there for reasons that can't be articulated uh, <laughs> well, by anyone. An event like this one, you might see a lot of media covering it that don't normally cover these events. Yeah. So, like, I think that part of it is nerves. And I think part of it at times is that, you know, you're not going to get to ask another question and you're not probably not going to get to ask a follow up question. So, like, uh, you better ask everything that you need to ask. And that leads maybe to some jumbled approaches. I think like, and I said this a lot of times, like that's a, it's a hard situation. Press conferences make a hard situation for everyone. And it's a situation where you're probably not going to get a lot of actual interesting stuff or news. On one hand, I think the average mixed martial arts press conference is way, way, way more interesting than the average press conference in almost any other sport. But at the same time, like it's an engineered event and you know, you got to think that part of the reason why they have become so popular is that it's really easy for the company to control what's happening. You're, like as a reporter, you're just not going to get a great opportunity to ask a ton of questions or delve too, too deeply into any one topic. Uh, so I think all that stuff is true. That said, like, and I have a, I have a problem with this sometimes myself, but like, I think one of the things that you learn after you've been in this business for a long time is that the shorter the question you can ask, the better. Yeah. And to leave it as a question that invites some interpretation from the, the person you're talking to, not just a yes or no question. And I see it a lot. And I've noticed myself doing it at times and really try to break myself of that habit, especially of when you're asking a question and you're saying, what were you thinking at this point? Was it this or was it right. this? And yeah. it's like, don't, you should just stop yourself before that point. And it's hard to do sometimes in the moment. It's hard to just know and to be confident enough that like this question I've asked is legitimate. It is uh, a reasonable question to ask in the circumstances. And I can just say that and stop and rely that on the other person is going to answer it. And because I think that sometimes where it comes from is people 
are like, well, if my question feels half-baked or not fully explained, it doesn't understand, then the fighter's impulse might just be to write off as if it's a stupid question. Yeah. And so you start, you just keep talking because you're hoping to make it clear, but what you're end, you're doing the opposite, really. You're just heaping on more and more stuff. And when you end up suggesting these possible answers, he's probably just going to choose from one of those possible answers. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that happens. But I also think with an event like this, I noticed it too, listening to the press conference and some of the, the pre-fight media stuff where you're like, these are not necessarily just the usual suspects at a, a UFC event. One, it was quite a ways for people based in North America to go to get to a UFC event. And instead, you know, the UFC probably encouraged a lot of media from the, the region there to go and get involved here and that maybe they're not used to doing these. Next question this week comes to us from Cat Pope. Who writes, I know a bunch of other shit happened this weekend, but did you fellas get the chance to see that Mike Perry got married this weekend? Oh, hell yeah. However, the real question is, what did he wear to his wedding? Was it A, a classic tuxedo complete with tails and cummerbund? B, shorts, a short sleeve uh, button up and boat shoes? Or C, somehow both? Plus, the whole thing is white, and for some reason, the jacket doesn't have sleeves. Yep, it was C, because why wouldn't that be hashtag platinumly ever after? Yep. Well, good for Mike Perry, and I assume the Platinum Princess. Yeah, and the Platinum Princess went with something more traditional. She just went with like a a white dress. And yeah, though, Mike Perry, I don't know where he even found this. I I really hope he did not go pay to have it custom made, a tuxedo that is short-sleeved with matching shorts, because we heard about he was concerned maybe that after taxes he wasn't going to have a whole lot of money in the bank. But... uh, it it's on brand. Oh yeah, I'll it's say the that most on brand yeah. thing for Platinum Perry. Also, you gotta really, really love Mike Perry if you're gonna marry him and he's gonna show up dressed like that. Like, not that I want to make too big a deal out of it, like as a uh, you know a, a symbol for what you're getting into. But like, and clearly, if you're the Platinum Princess, you already know what Mike Perry yeah. is all about. You got a pretty good idea at this point. But when he shows up. Wearing that uh, totally on-brand outfit to the wedding, there's got to be a feeling of like, yep, this is the rest of my life with this guy, Platinum Mike. Uh, he posted this video of them walking out to the ceremony, people throwing flowers at him and stuff. The caption is really worth it. Believe me when I tell you, you should be happy or jealous. One of those is a route to success. I love my life and I love my wife. Thanks, Instagram friends and followers for every view and like. Uh, we want to lead by example. I'm just going to, now if you'll excuse me, I have to pack for my 10-day honeymoon, hashtag salt life, hashtag business, hashtag partnership, hashtag marriage, hashtag legally binding, (laughs) hashtag contract. There you go. Hashtag congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations on your legally binding contract. That's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the show in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is in short, is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
been as the days pass and we get a little bit further away from UFC 242, obviously going down over there in Abu Dhabi, where Habib Nurmagomedov defeated Dustin Poirier in the main event to unify the UFC lightweight title via third round submission, rear naked choke. This may sound overly simplified, but I just find myself continually returning to this idea that Jesus Christ, Habib Nurmagomedov, is really, really goddamn good at this. He is. Like, he went out there and defied almost all of the narratives that, you know, a lot of people, including people on this show, on we had talked about on our Patreon uh, properties, tried to put out there about Dustin Poirier. That, like, Poirier would be extremely well-prepared, as he said he was, that he would have the cardio to compete with Habib Nurmagomedov, and that he might be able to make things interesting if he was able to stick around for a few rounds no, not true. Habib Nurmagomedov went out there and aside from like a, a fairly fleeting exchange in the second round, just put a whooping on Dustin Poirier. And by the time he locked on that rear naked choke uh, in the third round that was so tight that it made Dustin Poirier's eyes bul- briefly bulge, it was just a complete domination and clear that Habib Nurmagomedov, in my opinion, the most complete mixed martial arts grappler of all time and... I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the greatest lightweight of all time also. Wow. You're jumping right to that, huh? I think he's there, man. I don't, I don't, can't think of anyone else at this weight class that is as good or has been over an, a period of 12 straight wins in the UFC. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I think you could really remove all doubt by hurrying up and fighting Tony Ferguson next and beating him. But yeah, not to say that there aren't a couple of compelling matchups left out there, because right. there are, Tony Ferguson being one of them, and I still personally would really like to see how Gregor Gillespie matches up against Nurmagomedov, but it seems like we're a ways out from finding out the answer to that question, uh, which I guess brings us to the million-dollar question of UFC 242. What happens with Habib Nurmagomedov now? Besides, double burger with cheese and... A good steak. Uh, before we talk about that, the one thing I wanted to say about your point is that, in a way, it makes it more impressive what he's doing since everybody knows what he's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you can even tell with Poirier in his corner talking about it between rounds, and they understand, just like everybody else understands, some of the obvious keys that are at least, if not keys to victory, keys to not letting Khabib do his Khabib shit to you. Like, you want to fight him out there in space. You don't want to let him back you up against the fence. Let let you get inside that little warning track, that black thick line that's around there in the octagon. And then when he sees you cross that line, he's going to shoot in pretty quickly. And then he's got you up against the fence and he's just going to wear on you and, and eventually get you down. And Poirier in his corner knew that. And Poirier was trying to stay out there in space. But Khabib with just pressure, with his feints... He just keeps walking you down, and the next thing you know, you're right where you didn't want to be. Yeah. And once you get there, he shoots in so quick. He's just on you. And getting him off of you, getting even just a little bit of space from the guy, seems damn near impossible. Poirier had his moments. Yeah, he did. He he caught Habib with a pretty good punch that seemed like at least made Khabib be like, okay, we need to step back here and reevaluate. He had that guillotine choke, that arm and guillotine that looked pretty close there for a minute, made Habib fall off to the side in order to work an escape, which tells you right there that he was feeling that that one was on there pretty tight. But yeah, for the most part, just Habib doing his stuff. And so then the mind turns immediately to who could do something about that. Who could give him a different sort of challenge? And to me, I'm not convinced that Tony Ferguson is the guy, 
But I really want to see how Tony Ferguson goes about dealing with that problem. Because one thing we know about him, he is not afraid to try shit. He is unconventional in a lot of his approaches and will go out there and just do his stuff, even if it seems weird and counterproductive at times. He's not afraid to do it. Not afraid to go out there and put his game to work. So I would be really curious to see how that stylistically would go. And just in terms of win streaks and where everybody is in the division, there's no other fight that makes as much sense. Yeah, Tony Ferguson, uh, he's also, I think, big enough and long enough to maybe be up to the physical challenge. Obviously, endurance is one of his best qualities as well. And one of the things Nurmagomedov really likes to do is wear on people, make them tired. So uh, it's, it's it would be a really interesting stylistic matchup. Uh Ferguson has turned the last several of his opponents' faces just to hamburger, and it would be interesting to see, you know, how his bruising clinch game and kind of wild distance striking would work against Nurmagomedov. I want to, I definitely want to see it. The question is, are we going to get to see it? Because there's a, the Irish Kool-Aid man is lurking in the shadows, waiting to come crashing through the wall. Oh, yeah. And just take that spot for himself. But, Khabib keeps saying that he's not going to do it. And that might be the best hope we have. Yeah. Because obviously Khabib right now, he's exercising a little bit of pull in the UFC. You can tell because his friends who were never going to fight in the UFC again, according to Dana White, after they jumped in there and got involved in that at Fracas, less than a year later, they were right there with him on the same fight card. Yeah. So that shows you that this guy can get some stuff done. And if he really plants his feet and says, nope, I'm not even entertaining discussions of another fight with Conor McGregor at this time. Bring me Tony Ferguson. Well, then that improves our chances a whole lot, I think. I also think that while the UFC may still look at it and be like, Conor McGregor plus anything equals money, I think that the heat has died down a lot in terms of interest in Conor McGregor. I still think you'd make a lot of money putting him on a fight card, but... With all the stuff that's been going on with him recently, don't you think the long-term play is you want Conor McGregor to get back in there and fight somebody he can beat? I mean, I agree. I think it's a weird play to try to throw Conor out there again with Habib Nurmagomedov. Like, He'll get smashed. He, he will get smashed again. Yeah, the way that the first one played out kind of makes me feel like it makes no competitive or athletic sense to try to put them out there for a rematch. It might make a bunch of money, but at the same time, if McGregor just gets destroyed again... I don't know how much further our interest in him can extend. I feel like the compounding embarrassments that he has subjected himself to and subjected us to during his lengthy time off have already broken the spell in a lot of ways, especially with hardcore fans. And if you are counting on uh, casual fans continuing to be interested in McGregor, I feel like they've already tuned in for at least two fights where they have just seen him get destroyed. Yeah. And, like, if you want them to continue to come back, why book him again in this fight against Nurmagomedov where he is almost certainly just going to get his ass handed to him all over again? I mean, you roll out of this thing, to me it almost makes more sense to have Habib fight Tony Ferguson and have Connor fight Dustin Poirier, since Poirier is riding a, a wave of public support right now. Those guys have fought once before. Uh, Connor won. You know, uh, Poirier wants to get that back. Poirier has a style that 
that matches up with McGregor in a more advantageous way for McGregor, certainly than Nurmagomedov does. Like if Connor, one of the big questions here is if Connor is really even serious about fighting someone right now. And if he is, or if he's available to fight someone right now, man, I either think the winner of Gaethje Cerrone or Dustin Poirier makes a lot more sense to me than Habib Nurmagomedov does, unless you just want one more big money grab out of Conor McGregor before you put him out to pasture. Yeah. Well, the the thing with Tony Ferguson that Dana White said afterwards was, hey, it's Tony Ferguson's fight if he accepts it, which that concerns me. That language concerns me just because if you're looking and trying to tell if the UFC is examining uh, you know, potential ways you might screw Tony Ferguson out of this title fight. That seems like, okay, so that's how you're going to do it, huh? Right. You're, gonna, you're just going to be like, hey, we said, we called up Tony Ferguson. We said uh, New Year's Eve on the moon. And he was like, what? No, I can't be ready to go into interstellar travel in that short of time span. So, hey, the guy turned it down. Next. Yeah, especially with these... Uh I guess they're not reports, but Colby Covington basically coming out and say to, saying today that the UFC came to him with one take it or leave it offer for his title shot against Kamaru Usman, and that was the last thing he heard from them. Like if that's how they are approaching their negotiations right now, you could totally see them going to Tony Ferguson and being like uh, New Year's Eve on the moon, and get, we'll pay you five bucks. Right. And then if Tony Ferguson says no, how about ten? Then they say he didn't want the fight. We're going with McGregor. Right. Yeah, no, and that's why if I'm Tony Ferguson, I am going to do everything I can to make sure every aspect of this negotiation gets as public as possible, just so people know what the UFC is doing and, and put a little bit of pressure on there to make this happen. And especially the idea that like, oh, hey, it has to be this date and this place. And if he won't accept that, then that's reason enough to skip him. No, if it's the fight that makes sense, if it's the title fight, then that ought to be important enough that we take our time to find a place and a time that works for both guys. Yeah. That just shouldn't be that much to ask. I don't even know how you would, how you justify or sell the McGregor fight. Like obviously McGregor's going to sell his fight the way he always sells his fights, but like it was his last fight. He got completely destroyed and then he's just going to roll in on the heels of that loss and fight Nurmagomedov again. What? Honestly, I think at this point, the biggest threat to Tony Ferguson getting skipped for the next shot might be George St. Pierre. Because he has said that that's the one... George St. Pierre has said, hey, I'm retiring, but the one that interests me would be Khabib. The UFC positions seem to have softened by the end of this event. Because Dana White was asked at the post-fight press conference, what about George St. Pierre now? Before, Dana White had said, nope. I won't do it, basically because he felt like George lied to him on the middleweight title shot where he said, hey, if I beat Bisping for the middleweight title, I'll hang around and defend it. And even though everybody else could be like, no, I don't think he will. And then he didn't. And then Dana White got mad about it. And now then asked, hey, what about George St. Pierre versus Khabib? Would you entertain that? And there was a long, one might describe it as a a pregnant pause. And then Dana White said, sure, he'd, he'd consider that. If, I, if I'm Tony Ferguson, that's where I'm going, uh-oh, now I have to worry about this motherfucker coming in? Like like the, the French-Canadian Kool-Aid man now? <laughs> oh, we... Talking about Le <laughs> Yeah, man, could happen. And see, like, that makes a lot more sense than McGregor again. 
because if you can sucker George St. Pierre back in, you could almost do St. Pierre against Habib and St. Pierre against Conor McGregor, win, lose, or draw. Yeah. And you probably have my attention again. You have it exponentially more than you would with just a Conor McGregor-Habib Nurmagomedov fight. Agreed. All right, two questions I wanted to have answered here before we move on to round number two. Number one, how does Habib lose this title? How do you foresee him no longer being the UFC lightweight champion? You think someone beats him, or do you think it's some more unconventional means, like an injury which we have seen plague his career in the past, or uh, you know he moves up, or he is he just retires? I think knockout. Somebody I, just tags him. Yeah, I think that that's the most realistic. Like he he has seemed at times vulnerable on the feet, and his striking isn't the slickest that we've seen. He. I think is more successful than people initially give him credit for just because he gets people so worried about the takedowns that it opens up uh, the possibility for him to land some punches. But I think somebody goes out there, touches him on the chin, and that's how that's the most likely way, a one-off knockout that we then immediately have to run back. Yeah. Yeah, and he will get hit. We've seen that. We've seen him get hit in the in the past, so that that could be a good a good take there. Uh, and then I guess finally, as we talked about in Friday's Power Hour, you do have to direct your mind elsewhere in some ways if you are ready to fully climb aboard the Habib hype train because it might behoove you to not think too deeply on how this giant stadium in Abu Dhabi got built to house UFC 242. It might suit you to not think too deeply about uh, Ramzan Kadyrov being cage side to congratulate all of his associates as they come out of the cage. Uh, it might appeal to you to not think about some of Habib's recent comments about women's MMA or about sexually suggestive plays that he did not appreciate. Where are we at on that? Because Habib is not, certainly not the, the only uh, controversial figure in the MMA landscape. Not by a long shot. You know, we have guys like Greg Hardy. We have guys like Conor McGregor that you might have to uh, ignore certain aspects of their personality to even enjoy watching them fight. And yet it seems to me like Habib is the most difficult guy to ignore a lot of those uh, nagging aspects just because he's so good. He's so high profile. And the things that are technically... Uh, like distasteful to you about him seem to be a lot more overt than maybe some of the stuff about Greg Hardy or Conor McGregor. The other thing that makes it more difficult to grapple with, I guess, is that with Khabib, this stuff, it's not stuff that flows out of carelessness or just getting wrapped up in your own fame and money and stardom. It's stuff that seems to spring from deeply held beliefs. I mean, one thing you got to say for him, whether you like the his version of Islam or the way he expresses it or his regional political alliances, he's about that life, man. Yeah. Like he's not he's the opposite of like the Christian fighter who is thanking Jesus after every fight but then out there doing coke in the club. Like he is really about that life. Yeah. And that though when that kind of stuff is a problem for you, it makes it even harder. It's because it's not like Conor McGregor where you're like, well, hey, he's going to realize that he's on a bad trajectory here. and He's going to get his life together and then it's going to be fine. Khabib is doing that. He really believes in all this stuff. And 
that's where it comes from. And so asking him to be like, hey, could you be a little cooler about women's MMA? Could you stop hanging out with the Chechen dictator? Uh, no. Like, this stems from real genuine beliefs and that he does not seem willing to compromise on, which you got to respect in a little way, but then it also makes it a more intractable problem. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, you know who is tired of Conor McGregor being aggressively online. Who's that? Justin Gaethje. Yeah. Conor McGregor jumps on the Twitter machine after UFC 242. He tweets, book my rematch for Moscow. Justin Gaethje replies, crying, laughing emoji. You're a tool. You have lost everything already. You are a shit human father and husband. Fuck you. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? Going straight for the throat. Not only that, Justin Gaethje sticks around to respond to numerous uh, fans. He'll do that. Who he, come will, on. he will do that on the social medias. Yeah. It says, the truth here, a fan replies, the truth is that you are talking shit to a more popular and better fighter so you can make a little money before your pathetic career ends. Gaethje replies, I despise what he represents and people like you that would defend the person that he is. Someone else comes on and says, it's basically just a long-winded way to say that I prefer uh, Gaethje to just do his talking in the cage by being a fucking savage and putting on the best fights on every card. But if this helps, you get a Connor fight. I get it. I just wish you didn't have to do it like that. Gaethje replies, nothing to do with fighting. Great fighting. Great fighter. His distance management is second to none. His timing is impeccable and he hits like a truck. Shit human and deserves to be called out for that. Unfortunately for him, his indiscretions are unforgivable. Damn. You fucking kidding me? Justin Gaethje coming hard at Conor McGregor hard on Twitter. Coming hard at Conor McGregor and anyone who would dare defend him. Yeah, he basically says fuck Conor McGregor and anyone who stands with him. Uh, you mentioned Ramzan Kadyrov being in the crowd at UFC 242. Yep, didn't see him on the broadcast really, but saw pictures that cage type photographers took of him being there right up front. It's almost as if they took pains to keep him off the yeah. broadcast. He wasn't in the Stars Are Out Tonight nope. uh, montage. No. Good seats. Seemed like he had a good view of all the action. See his boy Khabib get the victory. Uh, this, a, a tweet from Damon Martin about Dana White being asked about Ramzan Kadyrov being at UFC 242. Dana White's quote, I don't know him and I didn't see him. You fucking kidding me? You expect us to believe that even though it's been a swirling news item around Khabib Nurmagomedov, your UFC lightweight champion, that one of the troubling things about him is how good of friends he seems with the Chechen dictator, who, by the way, has been to UFC events before, but can't go to them just everywhere, Chad. He can't go to the ones in Las Vegas. He can't go maybe, you know, see a catch a fight night in London kind of thing because he's got damn international sanctions against him. But he can go to Abu Dhabi and he can go to Russia and see fights. And you're going to tell me, after all this time, you still you never even heard the name. Ramzan Kadyrov? Is that the guy, uh, is the guy who used to play, uh, defenseman for the, uh, the Flames? No? No, no, I don't know him. No, no, him. Didn't see him. Didn't hear anything about it. Can't tell you. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's just not going to work, man. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Chad, as you know, Bellator 
had themselves night in San Jose this weekend. After UFC was on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Bellator retreats to the friendly confines of the, the former HP Pavilion over there in San Jose. Had a whole bunch of featherweight Grand Prix fights, weird heavyweight title action, which we'll discuss. But first, I want to lead off with a on-the-scene report we got from one of our guys. Sent this to me on Twitter. He asked to be credited either anonymously or at, with the name of the English footballer of your choice. So let's go ahead and call him Martin Kelly. Okay. What's Martin What's Martin got for us? Lay it on me. What do you see? What do you see out there? Wanted to offer a field report from on the ground at Bellator 226 in San Jose. Friends and I took a boatload of mushrooms and had a perfect night of MMA weirdness. Nonstop action with lots of violent submissions, some nice upsets and back and forth violence, and then classic MMA controversial nonsense to cap it all off. And Czech Congo is not the champion. A+. Says we dropped in about 4 p.m. the in arena by 4:30 on a wild ride by about 4:45. The prelims were pretty good, lots of action and brutal. Is he dead? Submissions. But what was wild was after the main event, they had six post limbs. They sure did, and that's when the dude broke his leg. But by that point, I was full of MMA. If you know what I mean, was happy to leave after the anticlimactic yet hilariously appropriate main event result. All right, let's talk about that main event result because Ryan Bader is out there putting the wood to check Congo for three minutes and 52 seconds in this heavyweight title main event for Bellator 226. Uh, he's pulling a little Habib there toward the end, straddling the leg of Congo, kind of uh, squatting down on his leg so Congo can't get up, uh, hitting him with, with some ground and pound, lands a nice uppercut, and then abruptly on the broadcast, Referee Mike Beltran, who, by the way, back in, in California with the mustache blazing again. So good to see Mike Beltran is able to untuck the stash uh, and really put in work as the referee here. I know you're concerned. We had to go to multiple replays to see what happened here in Bader versus Congo. Long story short, they have to call the thing off and declare it a no contest. I don't know that I ever saw a replay that was conclusive. Did you see one where you were able to see what happened in this fight? Because it was either Ryan Bader stuck his thumb in Czech Congo's eye or he stuck his thumb on his nose. And I couldn't tell which one. I definitely didn't see one where I could go, aha, definitely poking his eye. I didn't. Yeah. And he, he landed that uppercut right before, which at least makes it possible that it was the punch that ended up closing up Czech Congo's eye and not necessarily the the accidental eye poke. But at the same time, I mean, I guess you got to give Czech Congo the benefit of the doubt. That's not a sentence I thought I was going to say this week. But, you know, he's in there fighting for the Bellator heavyweight title. The fight was young yet. Hard to believe that he had had his fill and just decided to be like, all right, I'm out of yeah. here. So something something messed him up. At the same time, as a, uh, a listener sent us some mail this week that just said, this is some Bellator ass shit. It was some Bellator ass shit. That was all it said. <laughs> and I think that that is... Uh, that's perfect. That's that's about as well as you can describe it. And don't you think if you're Scotty Cokes, maybe uh, you wipe a little sweat from the brow and think, all right, well, we got out of that one, I guess, relatively unscathed. Yeah. As noted, Czech Congo is not your heavyweight champion. There you go. So, you, I mean, you're not running this one back. If they run this one back. No, I don't think they will. Yeah, I you think, can't. I think everybody is going to decide, you know what? 
There wasn't a ton of enthusiasm behind this to begin with. It got weird. And then Rampage Jackson gets in there and gets in like some kind of pushing and shoving match with Ryan Bader afterwards. Let's move on. We've seen what we need to see here. Let's move on. Yeah. Reports that maybe we're going to do Rampage Jackson against Fedor Emelianenko over there in Japan, perhaps. What year is it? And bill it as Fedor's last fight in Japan. I mean, I'll watch it, I guess. And then you got maybe, uh, let's say, Rampage Jackson emerges victorious from that one. You got a potential clash of him with Ryan Bader. They're also talking about having Bader uh, fight the Ryzen light heavyweight champion. So, big doings over there in Bellator right now with the heavyweight champ, champ, light heavyweight champ, Ryan Bader. By the time you get through with all that, maybe Curtis Razor Blades will be a free agent. (laughs) There you go. Uh, We also had multiple featherweight Grand Prix fights for this one. Uh, a lot like kind of a youth movement, really. Yeah. From the Bellator Grand Prix so far, uh, hashtag Borch business. Adam Borch defeats Pat Curran. Uh, Derek Campos defeats Daniel Strauss. Uh, yeah, Taiwan Claxton lose, which is kind of a bummer for me. I wanted to see how he would fare in this bracket. I guess now we know gets knocked out in the first round by Emmanuel Sanchez, but uh, lots of stoppages here in this Bellator card, including several on the uh, featherweight Grand Prix. It's it's shaping up to be a banger, Ben, just like I thought it might. I tell you, more and more, I'm getting excited about hashtag Borg's business. This guy, he's fun to watch. I mean, TKO Pat Curran, you got to take note of that. Yeah, that one does seem like maybe we were doing the thing with first round matchups where we're like, all right, we're a little bit excited about this guy. Let's put him in against somebody who is past his prime but still has a name and uh, get him on to the next round. Are we still doing the thing where we're going to wait till we get through the first round and then decide what the next round matchups are going to be? I think Scott Coker is doing a thing where, yeah, they're going to do the first round and then the the people that move on get to decide. Like if there's – if all of the people who are still alive, if someone is like, yeah, I want to fight that guy, then they will do their best to make that matchup. So it's kind of like the winner's pick. The winner's pick the the next round. Although – but they're all winners, so they then... are all winners, and and I don't know that you could you couldn't take it to an extreme, right? At some point, matchmakers got to step in here and make sure you got a workable bracket. But at the same time, eh, it seems a little bit more exciting than just have the, having the thing play out according to a predetermined bracket. And you know, Bellator is always going to make the fun choice over the strictly competitive choice. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I I still think. That this featherweight Grand Prix thing is a thing that I can really see myself getting excited about as it goes on. September 28th, Bellator 228, Patricio Ferrer against Juan Archuleta is your main event. AJ McKee in action, Darian Caldwell in action, Daniel Weichel in action. Uh, so that's your next round of the Bellator Grand Prix. Of course, Lyoto Machida against Gegard Musasi also on that same card. That one coming to you live from the forum over there in Inglewood. So you don't have to wait too long for the next round of the Bellator Grand Prix. Did you see this poor guy break his leg? Yeah, well... You saw the photos, I assume, showing up on your timeline. I did not want to see it. Yeah. Thanks, Twitter. Thanks, Twitter, for that one. Albert Gonzalez. And see, this isn't one of those post limbs. This is one, two, three, four, five fights after the main event against Tyson Miller. Gruesome leg injury. Uh, shades of Anderson Silva from Albert Gonzalez. The fact that it happened five fights after the main event makes you just feel like you didn't have to do that. We, we, we didn't still need to be here for this. No, we did not. We just really didn't. None of us needed to still be here. 
In any case, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, Saturday night, September 14th, from one of the many Rogers arenas in Canada. This one up there in Vancouver, British Columbia. You got UFC on ESPN Plus 16, main evented by Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje. We talked about it a little bit when they booked it. It's a fight that really needs no introduction. It needs no stakes. It needs no uh, narrative. It needs nothing around it. Besides you finding out that the Cowboy and Gaethje are going to go out there and throw them bungalows. As I said at the time, have this one in a damn Walmart parking lot and I'm going to show up and watch it. This one is for the fans. That's right. Well, and we're talking about, you know, making up belts for people to fight over. All these guys need to do is look in their closets, find an actual belt that they wear that they feel is nice. You know, a nice belt, that, but they also feel is representative of them. So maybe he's got a big-ass belt buckle on there that you really like. You feel it goes well with it. Bring that to the fight. And, you know, the winner will receive the loser's belt out of his closet. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. doesn't have to be about any other clear stakes. Just Donald Cerrone, Justin Gaethje going to smash each other and then maybe hand over an item from their personal wardrobe. Boom, I'm there. You know, even though they're having this fight at lightweight, I wouldn't hate it if the winner got out there and said something about how he heard how he heard there's a BMF title now, how he wants in on that. Oh yeah, just cut the line in front of Mike Perry before he gets the chance. <laughs> Do it <laughs> while, honeymoon. while Mike Perry is on his ten day honeymoon. That's right. Cut the line for the winner of uh, Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. Hashtag legally binding. That's right. Don Cerrone, of course. 36 years old at this point, comes into this fight uh, on the heels of that loss to Tony Ferguson at UFC 238, where he blew his own nose and his eye swelled up. Still a fight of the night for those two guys, which lets you know a little something about uh, the kind of work they do. Uh, three wins in a row prior to that, Mike Perry, Alexander Hernandez, and Ally Aquinta. Justin Gaethje, still a little bit on the of the new kid on the block, despite all that work that he did in World Series of Fighting. 30 years old, two-fight win streak, James Vick and Edson Barbosa, who you got here? You know, it's a pregnant. Speaking of pregnant pauses, I can there's talk, one right here. We, I, can, I just I didn't know if I was throwing you a curveball here. I feel like I can talk myself into almost anything here because I think if Justin Gaethje gets after Donald Cerrone early, we know Donald Cerrone has been at times kind of a slow starter, and Gaethje will just go at you like he's. He's double parked outside. He doesn't care who gets knocked out as long as it's somebody. Then I can easily see Justin Gaethje just taking it to Donald Cerrone. The way people have kind of like early in a fight been able to take it to him. Yeah. But then I can see a more mature dad Cerrone fending off that early attack and using some of his technical kickboxing prowess. His veteran wiles? His veteran wiles, you might even say, to pick apart Justin Gaethje. But I don't know. I still... If you make me pick, I got to say Justin Gaethje. Looks like Justin Gaethje is the slight favorite here. Donald Cerrone going off about plus 165. So not a huge underdog, but an underdog all the same. I think you're about right. Especially as you said, we know that Cerrone can be a little bit of a slow starter. So I feel like if Justin Gaethje went out there and really uh, took it to him 
in the first round, you might get yourself into sort of a uh, Cerrone versus Diaz type situation where Cerrone never really gets the the truck out of the driveway and ends up uh, losing by stoppage. But at the same time, Justin Gaethje, you don't want to overextend yourself too much here because Donald Cerrone can also, you know, at any moment kick you upside your damn head or uh, you wind up in a scramble on the ground. Just our Donald Cerrone has pretty nasty submissions. He's got a good arm bar. He's got a good triangle. So you got to be a little bit careful. But I agree with you. I think that uh, just by a fraction, I got to side with the power uh, and early aggressiveness of Justin Gaethje here. Well, and I think one of the things Justin Gaethje can do really well is get people into his kind of frenetic firefight. And Donald Cerrone is a guy who I think when he hears that music, he's going to dance, yeah. even if it might not be the best option for him. So if Justin Gaethje is really coming after you hard and wants to stand there and throw hammers at each other's heads, it's hard for me to picture Donald Cerrone being like, but calm down, Donald. Let's back up and reset and let's avoid this for now until we can get somewhere to where it's more to our advantage. I think that Donald's Roney is going to get hit and want to come right back. And then the next thing you know, you and Justin Gates, you're trying to knock each other's heads off. Yeah. I do wonder what the game plan might be for both these guys to the extent that, you know, there is going to be a specific and, and solid game plan. If you're Donald Cerrone, do you want to make a technical fight out of it or do you want uh, Justin Gaethje to come in there like a house of fire so maybe you can capitalize on a mistake of his. Yeah. I mean, Justin Gaethje seems to have really figured out the way to to weaponize that, that really fast-starting, getting-right-in-your-face kind of approach. And it's not like he minds getting hit. You know, he he understands that that's part of the deal there. I think that for Donald Cerrone, he is better when he has a chance to kind of settle into the fight a little bit for more. sure. Yeah. Uh, how you, how excited are you? What's your hype level just for the fact that your guy Todd Duffy coming back fighting in the UFC after being away since July 2015? I had no idea he was on this one. Yeah, it's re- that's really a under the radar uh, narrative storyline headed into this uh, headed into this fight. The return of Todd Duffy, who is only 33 years old. Amazing. Even even today, even now, even today, he's going to be taking on Jeff Hughes, the uh, former LFA heavyweight fighter in this in this uh, scrap up there in Vancouver. Of course, you got Glover Tashira versus Nikita Krylov, uh, Uriah Hall against Antonio Carlos Jr. and Misha Sirkinov against Jimmy Crute. You still got a TBD, yeah, on the main card mm-hmm. of this event. It's fight least, week, at least uh, according to the Wikipedia, Michael Pereira or Michelle Pereira. He's that. Uh, Exciting guy, right? He's the guy that just does the crazy shit yeah, all the time. Did, did last time, so yeah. maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe it doesn't even matter who he's going to fight. Have him pick go out somebody there. out of the crowd. Yeah, have him go out there against Black Phillip. For all I know, for all I care. You think Michelle Pierre wants to live deliciously? <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. I absolutely think. <laughs> I, I think, think you're he right. Does. He probably does. All right, Ben. Let's do just saying stuff, and then we can get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff? Uh, I'm going to hit you with a quote here from Colby Covington to ESPN. My side of the story is I'm ready to fight. I was ready to fight, but the UFC came to me with a basic challenger's offer. I'm a champion. There was no negotiation. They came and ran at me and said, here, take this or leave it and we'll pass it on to the next person. That's not fair negotiating and it's not right. So I'm not going to take the first offer that you offer me. I'm just saying Colby Covington is not necessarily wrong. But ain't nobody care, man. Nobody is going to have sympathy for Colby Covington on this one. It's 
especially you're talking about how you feel like it was the challenger's offer and you're a champion. Actually, to correct you on a fact, you are not a champion, even though you won a belt at some point. You are not a UFC champion. You are the challenger, so the challenger's offer would seem fitting. But also, this is the other side of that coin, man. You want to run around talking about snowflakes and soy boys and all kinds of other bullshit. The flip side is you then don't get to turn around and be like, but that's not fair. I'm just saying, man. Just saying. Interestingly enough, my just saying stuff is also Colby Covington related. Oh, no. I'm just saying, have you noticed that the Colby Covington honeymoon down there in ATT appears to be over? (laughs) People are no longer holding their tongues about the No, they are not. He is is all about uh, a a budding feud with Jorge Masvidal. And then you had uh, Dustin Poirier, who otherwise took his loss to Khabib Nurmagomedov with an insane amount of class and uh, grit gets asked at the press conference about if there was any circumstance that he would fight Jorge Masvidal, which I think is a weird thing to ask him, but here we are. Here's his quote. George is a buddy of mine. I don't sell out like fucking Colby Covington, says Dustin Poirier. I don't talk bad about people who I roll with. No, he's a buddy of mine. I won't fight him. He's a training partner. He's a good guy. If anything, I'll go out to Florida and help him prepare for that fight against Diaz. Teammates of Colby Covington at this point, basically telling him to go fuck himself. When, Just saying. When Dustin Poirier is against you and says so publicly, I think he done fucked up. Yeah, that seems like a uh, a bad place to find yourself. Just saying. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back on Wednesday for the Patreon live chat. We're also going to record the movie club about the prestige that day. So if you're not a patron of the podcast or you haven't bumped up to the $10 level, give it some thought because I have a feeling those are going to be two highlights of the week. Then, of course, on Friday, we will be back for the power hour, including the the craze that's sweeping the nation, co-main event podcast, Patreon power hour power rankings you definitely want to be involved in that as for right now though we are done we are through we are out are we sure everybody knows to go to the right rogers arena for this one yeah, there's so many of them. you don't want to show up at the rogers arena in toronto no is there a rogers arena in toronto maybe in montreal you don't want to show up at the rogers arena out there in uh in saskatchewan See, what happens is in the peg or blue bombers, by the way. You, you put it in the maps. Going to the Rogers Center, Rogers Arena, whatever, and then you don't really look closely. The next thing you know, you're on the wrong side of the damn country. I gotta be honest with you, I don't know who this Roger is, but he loves arenas. Yeah. This motherfucker loves arenas. Can't get enough.